I would love to go back to what got you interested in money to begin with? Were you already, I'm, I'm going to assume you're already in the military, but tell us a little bit about why, how, when did that happen? And obviously you've had so much success. We've listened to a lot of the content you're putting out there and you have a lot of drive. It's really, really helpful. You've built this huge community that you're benefiting so greatly. So you've done really great things, but where, where, let's just go back for a second. Where did this all start? Yeah, no, and thank you for that. I uh, started in 2015, so I joined the military in 2008, and in that first seven years, I would imagine that my net worth probably, if anything, it might have gone down. It definitely didn't go up. Um, I blew, you know, I did all the normal Marine Corps things. Oh, look, a motorcycle. Ooh, that's a cool car. Oh, I like women. Let me go on a bunch of dates and. Oh, tattoos. Tattoos are cool, especially when you're drunk. And yeah, I did all the all the financial mistakes you could possibly do, right? Every normal service member stereotype, other than a Mustang, been there, done that. I bought other kinds of cars. Um, in fact, I remember coming back from a deployment. I bought a truck, a Harley, and a rifle. And you know, all these years later, the truck's gone, the Harley's gone, and the rifle sits uh, up up until the last year. The rifle sat in Missouri, and I was stationed out of state because I couldn't bring it into the states that I was stationed. So, total waste of money. But um, did you have fun? Oh yeah, it was it was a blast, right? Like I wouldn't. Well, I, I would probably go back and change a few things uh, financially because I could have had just as much fun and also saved 250, 500 bucks a month and been in a great situation. Or even, you know, I was contributing a little bit to my 401k, but I'd never researched the funds. So my money was just sitting in the bonds. And so from 2008, when the market tanks, I joined the military as it's like bottoming. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's bottoming, whatever it's, from 2008 to 2015, it did very well, and I missed all of it because all my money was in bonds. Um, so if I, even if I could just tweak that, like, hey, just instead of this fund, put it in this fund, I'd be, I'd have three times as much money in there right now, um, and I could have been just as wild and had three or four hundred thousand dollars instead of a hundred in my TSP, right? So uh, yeah, definitely would change some stuff. But yeah, 2015, uh, ironically, someone was trying to get me into Amway to sell, you know, whatever multi-level marketing, energy drinks and yada, yada. And, uh, he handed me the book, rich dad, poor dad. I remember telling him that I didn't like to read and he handed it, he pulled out a CD from his pocket and handed it to me. It was like, we'll put this in your car while you're driving. I was a recruiter for the Marine Corps at the time. So I was driving all the time. I mean, two or three hours a day in the car. He's like, just listen to this. And so I listened to it. I mean, it was like immediately I downloaded audible and it was just book, 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 book. And I, uh, I just kind of got lucky. I, that was probably September, October. And in December, the lease on my apartment was coming due. And so I was like, well, I'm paying five fifty a month to live in a two one apartment. Let me see if I can find a duplex. And I bought a duplex and it was six twenty five a month to own a two one on each side duplex. And there was a tenant paying four twenty five. So I went for paying five fifty a month to live in an apartment to maybe 200 bucks out of pocket once you include utilities to own a duplex that was bigger and actually had some grass and you know I could paint it if I wanted to without asking the apartment people and uh, that was cool about six months later I got stationed in Hawaii and when I moved out I rented my unit and then the first time I got a paycheck like I my property manager sent me like 150 bucks and was like here you go and I was like 
all my bills are paid. Like this is, Yay. This is, this is pure yeah. profit. Yeah. And it was just, I was hooked. It was, at that moment, it was like, I'm going to start saving. I'm going to start buying more. And it took a while to buy the next property because service member, you know, enlisted guy, didn't have a whole massive income and Hawaii is fairly expensive to live in. Uh, so it, it was probably about a year and a half until the next purchase. Um, and, and then it just, yeah, it's just kind of gone from there. Real quick. I don't want to stop your train right now, but, um, fun versus savings. I had that same miscalculation in my young brain. Like, ah, man, that's for later. Like if I could go back and talk to a younger version of me, it would be, man, you're not sacrificing anything to be smarter about your money. No. And, and every little, that's the thing that now that you look back, right. If I save, so I'm 32 right now and let's just math in public at 32, I would say every, I'd have, I'd have to really do the math to make this accurate, but I would say I would probably need to save $300 every month to equate to what a hundred dollars a month would have been equal to when I was 18. Yeah. yeah. Compound nurses. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's like, man, if you just like a hundred bucks a month, like if you eat out twice less every month or one or two less bottles of alcohol that you probably shouldn't be drinking anyway because you're underage or, um, you know, it, it's, yeah. And, and the crazy thing is I was stationed in Japan the first two years. We get an overseas allowance, like an additional paycheck. It's not huge, but it's three or 400 bucks a month or whatever. And if I just saved that, just said, hey, you know, I wasn't earning this much before. Let me just save this difference. Like that would have been a huge chunk of change. But, you know, I got a cool tattoo. <laughs> So when did military to millionaire come into the picture? January, 2018. Um, good friend of mine was over at the house. He's a uh, kind of a figurehead in the real estate space. And I had an idea for writing a book about my deployment to Afghanistan. Cause I kept a journal and a mission log that kind of correlated. So I can, I can go back and look and be like, Hey, on this day in September, I drove over a spicy road bomb and this is how I felt that night. Like, and it's kind of cool. So I thought, wow, there's all these Navy SEALs books about like the guy who shot bin Laden and all the cool stories, but there's no book about what like the random 20 year old dude who got dropped in the desert was trying to do to like entertain himself for seven months. And, uh, and a newsflash, a lot of really stupid stuff. <laughs> um, and, uh, I thought it'd be cool. So I was like, man, nobody knows who I am. How do I get to where people know who I am? So when I write this book, somebody might actually read it. It's like, just start a blog. Like, okay what do I write about? It's like, I don't know, real estate. I was like, well, yeah, but everybody writes about real estate. He's like, well, you're in the military. So put that spin on it. Cause nobody in the military talks about this, even though they all buy houses all the time. And, uh, like, okay. So I just kind of started documenting what I was doing. And then, you know, probably a year in people started to actually pay a little bit of attention and ask questions. So then when I got the same question two or three times, I would then go and really learn about that subject. So I could write about that content to answer that question. And then probably a year after that, it just, about 18 months ago, it just kind of started to tank like torpedo, not torpedo, the opposite of torpedo, uh, <laughs> exponential. I mean, it, we went, I remember a week, probably like April or May of 2021, where we were averaging about a hundred people a week. were joining the Facebook group. And all of a sudden it was like 200 a day. And I was just like, well, this is weird. What, like, did someone share something? And then it just kept going and it kept now we're at like, you know, it took two years to get to 7,000 people, two and a half years to get to 7,000 people in the group. And then in 
14 months, 15 months, we went from 7,000 to like 46. So it's, did it's you, tremendous. do you attribute that to any specific thing or was it a marketing push you did or a specific thing you did or how did you all of a sudden exponentially grow that way? Yeah, I think it was almost the opposite of a specific thing. So I, I, I think that genuinely it was because I'm congruent, I'm approachable and I'm not pitching a whole bunch of expensive crap. So while I do have some paid, like a, a mastermind group or a, a fairly affordable course or whatever, I'm not out there like thousand dollars and I'll talk to you about how to buy a single family house that you could buy with a quick Google search. Um, I think between that and the fact that I was just pumping out so much free content, people, it was just word of mouth. People were just like, Hey, this Dave guy, he's, he'll answer your questions and he won't charge you for it. And, uh, that's my thought. I don't know. There was nothing, nothing really changed during that time. I think it was just people realizing that like I've achieved financial freedom. I don't really like, this is fun for me. Um, I make some money doing it. Sure. But I could stop and go live on my farm in Missouri and be fine. So who cares? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any sense of how many people you've helped at this point? Because you also, I'd love to hear about the course you created for the military too, if it's still being used, how that came about. But do you have any way of quantifying it? I know that's hard, but. Actually, let's get real raw. Let's find out. And I, I say it that way. Just yesterday, so I'm going to go into my Google Drive. I, so I had mentioned that mastermind group. So just yesterday, I posted a poll in there and I put a form and I said, hey, I'd like to know how you guys have done since you got in the mastermind group. I'm trying to figure out some way to show like this is what whatever. So I have 36 responses in the last 12 hours. And I don't know. So let's see. <clears throat> of the 36 responses, 75%. Uh, so the first question is, how many real estate investment deals have you done prior to joining the group? 75%. The answer is one to five. 16%. The answer is zero. Uh, two people said five to 10 and one said 25 or more. And, and then the next, so after you've joined the war room, how many deals have you done? 40% one to five, 20% five to 10, 13% 10 to 25. Two of them have done 25 or more. So all but 15% of them have done at least two times as many deals as they had before. Uh, and then, so I asked, let's see. So what was your network when you joined net worth when you joined? Uh, man, this is actually a lot of breakouts. So I'll just do the, the basic, uh, 13% had a $5 million net worth. 8% had a negative net worth. 17% had a zero to $50,000 net worth. And then, uh, the biggest group in there is 500 to a million was 20% of people. And then now it is 33% one to 5 million, uh, 25% 250 to 500. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to bore you guys with a million statistics, but, um, essentially, oh man, there's a lot of, a lot of good feedback on there, but, but anyway, uh, of the 36 responses, it, it looks very promising that they, uh, they, they're getting a lot out of it. So I, I don't know that I have a sense. Um, that's, you know, 36 people who've responded to something in the last 24 hours, but they all 
apparently have done a ton of deals. So that's mm-hmm. cool. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's, it's cool. So I, I, I saw, well, actually, I really want to take a step back before we go any further and talk about your asset allocation currently, um, your net worth to whatever extent you're comfortable sharing. And then we can kind of delve in because we have big questions about HELOCs right now and the real estate industry in general. And what do you do if you want to get into it? Because it seems like a crazy time. But before we go there, I think everybody loves hearing these numbers. They're always fun. So share away. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. So I do this every month on the first. So I haven't accounted for the last 20 days of stock market losses, but I accounted for June or May's stock market losses already. Um, so not as, not as crazy as you'd think, uh, 1,094,289. Um, now that's, so I will say not that it's not that that's a bad net worth by any means, but I will say that there's a $170,000 worth of equity at a primary residence that I don't count. So um, now that's very impressive and pulling that out like that. I mean, how you said you're 32. Yeah. Oh, well done. Thank sir. you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of it. Six, 600 K of that or, or let's see, uh, 633,600 of that is equity in homes. Uh, and actually I, that's probably, that probably jumped 50,000 a day. Cause I refinanced a property that, uh, appraised for, uh, we bought it for three fifty five. It appraised for four twenty five. So it appraised for seventy thousand more than we paid for it. Uh, and I'm pulling twenty out. So, um, yay for more equity. That whatever. Nobody really cares. But um, yeah. Do you pay attention during a time like this, or do you not pay attention during a time like this? Uh, you mean as far as the market? Yeah, market. The, the real estate. I mean, you 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 speak of it as equity, and I think my biggest thing is not looking right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I only, the only time I update the tracker, as far as real estate goes every month, I I update the mortgage balance. So the principal pay down gets factored. The only time I adjust the value in my spreadsheet is on January 1st, or if I refinance and have a new appraisal. Um, So all of these values account for last January. So they don't account for the last six months of chaos. So I'm sure I could bump this another hundred thousand dollars or so. Um, but I just, you know, I don't really care, but yeah, to to your point, um, I haven't looked at my 401k in the last six weeks because I just know that if I look at it, I'm going to have some kind of a crazy idea that maybe people were right about moving this into, no, just leave it alone. Right. Just don't touch it. Yeah. yeah, So, yeah, uh, I'm not, and we're going to get into this, but I'm not super worried about the real estate side. Now I could be dead wrong on that, but there's a lot of reasons that I think real estate will probably slow, will probably dip, but I don't think real estate's going to be the piece that, I don't think it'll be like 08 where all of a sudden the real estate market falls to pieces and the rest of the world's like, what the heck happened? Uh, I, I think that's going to be uh, a lot of things, but I, I think real estate's in a weird position where the supply and demand is the biggest driving factor. And there's such a low inventory of housing and so few, you know, more people need a house every year than they're building. And it's this weird, I don't know. And then, and then I'm also kind of comforted by the fact that I'm in Missouri. And so like the median home price across the nation was 323 in March of 2020 and it's 429 now, but like the median home price here is still under 200,000. So we're so far under the national average that it, 
it can't dip too much. I mean, I'm sure it could, but even if I had a 20 or 30% dip in real estate values, um, you know, that's, that's a lot less significant in Missouri than it is in San Diego or. Yeah, for sure. So looking back, what would you say were the top two, top three, um, contributing factors to this great growth and wealth? I mean, it, might've been buying these homes and or what would you say? Like, how did you do this? Yeah. Consistency. Um, the, the, so the first thing I would say is when I had no money or, or no net worth or very low net worth, uh, I took some big risks, uh, you know, high leverage, uh, creative financing, very low down payment properties that had a lot of upside. Um, and, and granted this was 2015, 16, 17. So the market, still had a lot of room to grow. Uh, but I, I had enough of a cushion and I had the security of a federal job that I knew was going to stay around to where I was okay taking a few bigger risks, knowing that if they fail, I will still have, I'll still be able to put food on the table. So it's not, it won't like end my life. It, it'll suck, but it won't ruin me. But if these win, then that'll really, you know, when you don't, when you don't have a lot of money, you kind of, you kind of have to either approach money as a, really slow save and hope it grows over time process or you have to be willing to to leverage and 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 take some some bigger risks to grow so that was that was one thing like i remember i bought a a 10 unit apartment uh 85% bank financing 10% seller financing and i brought 5% to the table um and then that thing you know that was a risk right i'm only i'm only putting 5% down this thing's 95% leveraged um but I bought it for forty thousand less than it appraised for. It was cash flowing. It had a lot of room for growth. Uh, I thought it would be a good property long term, and uh, luckily I was right. I mean, it, it cash flowed for four years, and I recently sold it for uh, one hundred and fifteen thousand more than I paid for it, and made money the entire time. Um, and I had two refinances in the middle that allowed me to buy additional properties and. Um, so I think it was just consistency, right? Getting getting around the right people, people who are already doing what you want to do. Sometimes I had to pay to play to be in those rooms, but getting around people who were very successful in real estate, seeing what they were doing and just, you know, consistently analyzing deals and making offers. Yeah. When did you stop the recruiting job? Was that a decision you had to make or was it just obvious? That yeah, no. So that just happens. Uh, it's three years orders. So I, I started, uh, I left there in May of 2016 and then uh, jumped into, I'm a, I'm a truck driver for the Marine Corps by trade. So. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, getting into helping people who are listening get into real estate. So a lot of our listeners have variable income. So a lot of us are creatives like Matt and I own our own business. He's a musician. I'm in marketing. Our company services both the same and different clients. We work together and that a lot of our listeners are the same. So they're either in music or they're um, in some sort of arts, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them are. So for someone with a variable income, how would you recommend they get into real estate? <laughs> we can choose to talk about it through the lens of the market right now, um, but also outside of it. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I would say is if you're in the music world and you're in a position where you can make royalty plays, I would absolutely do that. 
uh, because you know, if you can, and I don't, I don't know enough about that world to be able to like really articulate that, but I have a friend who's a music producer. Um, and he found a really weird niche where he, he makes commercials. Like he does the music for like Taco Bell or, you know, Disney previews or whatever. And he started getting some royalty gigs with it. And he made um, a significant amount of money passively last year off just residual stuff from the exact same work he'd been done doing anyway. And it's not like it's sexy work. You know, it's not like he woke up one day and was like, I'm going to make Taco Bell commercials, you know, but it's something that's recurring. And now he can reinvest all that extra money into real estate. So I think that's cool. Uh, And the music industry has a, a cool ability to have that potential where most people don't. Um, I think I tell people all this time. So this, this is probably like the most cliche thing in the modern real estate world, but the house hack. So the idea that you can buy a duplex, a triplex or a fourplex, you live in one of the units, you rent the other ones out. And what it does, I mean, your housing is your biggest expense. So if you're paying $2,000 a month for a mortgage, what the only way you're getting rid of that is if, you pay off your house, but that's not exactly an easy thing to do. So the alternative is if you want to live in the same spot is you buy a fourplex, which is more expensive, a little bit intimidating to most people. But the cool thing when you buy a buy like that is you're buying a primary residence. So you can still get an FHA loan three and a half percent down or, or a VA loan if you're in the military or 5% down conventional. So you get in with a much lower barrier to entry, but it's, it, there's so many benefits. I mean, you're going to learn how to be a landlord. Uh, you're going to essentially you can live for free or or very cheap. So if you were paying two thousand dollars a month for a mortgage, and all of a sudden you buy this fourplex, if you're still coming out of pocket five hundred dollars towards your mortgage, well, you're saving fifteen hundred dollars a month that you could reinvest. But a lot of people are able to do it where they live like completely free. Like the other tenants pay their mortgage, their utilities, everything, and you can save that entire housing allowance and reinvest it. And that's fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year that you can invest now that you were just paying into rent or a mortgage. Uh, but it's also, you know, you get the primary residence, so you get the 30 year fixed rate, low down payment loan, which is really secure, especially if you live in the house, cause you're not going to let the house go back to the bank. If you live there, you want a place to live. Uh, but it's also less scary, right? Because for whatever reason, when you start talking about investing, like all the people around you, who don't invest in real estate are going to try to talk you out of it. They're going to like, Oh, this is crazy. You're crazy. The market that there's always a reason. Yeah. There's always a reason not to buy real estate from people who don't own real estate. Um, but if you tell the same person, like if your mom doesn't invest in real estate and tells you don't do this at all, but she probably owns a house. So if you're like, well, we're not, we're just buying a house. Like, yeah, it's a fourplex, but it's just a house for us. Like that's not as scary. You're going to have a lot more support. It makes it really easy to get into. So I I love that option because it's like, okay, low down payment, live for free, reinvest that money, not scary, learn to be a landlord. And then you can decide, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to keep going or holy crap, this sucks. But when you are done with it, at least, you know, if you bought it right, it'll cash flow when you move out or or you can still sell it for a decent price. So that's awesome. Are you scared at all about getting into the market right now? Or do you feel like look hard enough and you'll find what you need? Yes. Uh, I'm, I I have a feeling, right? Like the spidey sense says that there's definitely a change. I don't imagine a massive real estate crash. And I, 
I know that all of my properties pay for themselves. So as long as I hold on to them, even if there is a crash, it really doesn't matter. Um, so what I'm, what I'm doing right now is so like, I have three renovations underway and I was planning to refinance and hold two of them as long-term rentals and I'm going to sell all three. And the only reason I'm doing that is to pay off what little personal debt I still have left in my name and then have an extra 50,000 sitting in cash reserves. And so I have cash reserves for all my properties, but I figure, Hey, if I have an extra 50 grand, then if things get really rough, that's enough to carry mortgages for eight months, 10 months, whatever. Um, well, probably five months now, but you know, they won't all go vacant at once. They didn't in COVID. So, um, you know, I guess the more, more real estate you own, the more money it takes to keep the mortgages going. But, uh, you know, they're not all going to go vacant, right? Those people still need a place to live. They're still going to pay rent or somebody will. And a lot of people I think are going to be, I think the rental market, it's kind of this weird dynamic because the rental market I think is going to pick up uh, as interest rates climb, less people are going to be buying houses. So what are they going to do? They're going to rent. Um, and rents always lag. So, you know, 2020, 2021, we saw massive increases in property values, but those rents haven't caught up because the tenant who's in a one-year lease hasn't had to renew yet. So the rent, the rent, rent didn't go up. Well, it goes the other way too. Now that those rents are catching up, even if the market comes back down, that person's locked into a year lease. It's going to take a while for the rent to, if it comes down, it'll take a long time. So it, it's a good hedge. Real estate's usually a pretty good inflation hedge. Um, I'm If I can't get into a property and be all in at 75% of what it will appraise at, I'm not touching it. And so I've been doing a lot of off market. Like I was spending ten dollars or $15,000 a month on letters and cold callers. And um, I actually just sold, I signed a purchase and sale agreement yesterday. So we just sold that LLC. But yeah, with the with so with the way we sold it was essentially like, hey, no sales price. I want to be able to buy one deal at cost from you guys every month. And so they're taking over everything I built and I have to do no marketing, but I get access to one property a month at cost. So I will still get the ability to buy super undervalued real estate. Um, I'm doing I stopped doing full gut renovations and I'm doing just some lipstick cosmetic stuff, maybe a bathroom or kitchen. And I'm just trying to take down more conservative projects. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not going to stop buying. Um, I'm actually, if anything, I'm trying to pivot into uh, like mobile home parks and RV parks and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, with mobile home parks, do you plan to build, would you ever build a park or you want to buy one that's already? Man, there are a lot of people out there who would build if possible. I don't know any municipalities that are letting those get built right now. So that's part of why they're so valuable. Nobody, no, no county or municipality wants more mobile home parks. And so it's a, an asset class that does very well in recession environments because they're affordable. And so it's like the last straw is somebody goes to live in a mobile home park before they end up, well, hopefully they don't end up homeless, but um, like, that's like one of those places that people view as like, oh, fine, well, we'll go live here. So they don't have a problem staying full uh, in recessions. And so, and they're, they're very weird how they're run. Um, the way most people do it is they sell the home or seller finance the home to the tenant. And then they just, they just collect a rent for the home staying on the lot. They just collect the lot rent and they do the landscaping. So they have almost no expenses, landscaping and like lights and like yeah, the community, park. if they keep it up and yeah. yeah. So it's, it's almost no expenses. 
so it's yeah so so i guess to answer your question right is is buy if i can find them and the cool thing with mobile home parks too is that a lot of uh, banks don't lend on them or don't really like to until you get to like a really big scale operation. And so you can do a lot of seller financing. So you can get like pretty creative deals where you find an owner who's owned a place for 40 years and say, Hey, I'll give you 10% down. If you just let me make monthly payments to you for the next 20 years or, or whatever. So cool opportunities. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about HELOCs because right now it's tempting for a lot of people to pull equity out of their homes because the way the market is, is crazy and you want to take advantage. Do you recommend them? Do you recommend ever taking a HELOC out and using the money to invest or buy another home or in ways that aren't typical, like updating your kitchen? Yeah. I, I definitely lean towards HELOC over refinances right now. So I've, I've been getting that question a lot lately. And, you know, the last two years, my answer was, ah, don't worry about a HELOC, just refinance because rates are amazing and whatever. Uh, the answer has flip-flopped now because if you got a 2.5%, 3% mortgage locked on 30 years, then you should absolutely never touch that. So, yeah. So if anything, get a second mortgage on it and leave the original one at the same rate, but I would prefer the HELOC. Um, this is one of those things where it's a good thing my wife doesn't always listen to these podcasts because she hates that we have a HELOC. She is much more Dave Ramsey risk averse than I am. Um, totally understandable. Like it, I get it. Like I, I, well, I struggle to get it, but I, I try to get it. I understand why that's a thing. Um, the $72,000 HELOC that we pulled in 2016 has bought me a 10-unit apartment, two house flips, a rental. Um, like it is, it has been wonderful for me. I over the in, and at and at a three or four percent simple interest, you know, rate, and you only pay interest on the money you've used, and then you just pay it off and reuse it when the opportunity comes. Um, I love it, and I, I've actually even thought to the point of running my entire life or an entire business out of a HELOC because my income is so when you're, when you're flipping a house, you might have one month where you make nothing. And then another month where you make $70,000 and that's great. But if you had like a HELOC to throw it in, you can kind of balance that out rather than like this massive influx and outflux of, of uh, profit and loss. So I had a friend of mine from Atlanta in town and he's very much, if I make a dollar, I'm spending a dollar to make another dollar faster. Like, that's his like Bible. And he and I were arguing back and forth because I'm kind of the other way. Like, ah, just, you know, I've got what I need. I can do it. I don't need a big team, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, as we had this long discussion about an hour, he left. And as he was leaving, I was walking downstairs and I just stopped and looked out the window like, I'm doing it all wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> always oh, another no. way to do it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> My whole life has been a sham. <laughs> there's a time and a place, right? So there's, there's, it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic where, you know, it's like, you can't go broke taking profit. So if you like being conservative is good. Um, and, and it's, it's smart, especially when you're heading into a recession, right? It's just also very hard to build wealth that way. So, so is it a good thing that you and your wife are flips of that coin? Because th th people like yourself, I always think of like right when the pandemic hit or right before the pandemic hit, there were those photos of like all the Amazon like here's a fleet of 6 million Amazon vans that have been purchased that are just sitting idle. And like, that's the fear is that you dump all your money in right before something happens and Oh crap, you have $0 now. 
Yeah, there's a. Uh, it's probably good because um, she, like, she's the reason that I'm forcing myself to like sell all three of these rather than just one of them and build a larger cash reserve and pay off some debt that I don't care about. Like, I'm going to pay off my car. I have a 3% interest rate on that. I don't care about paying that off. I think it's a waste of money to pay that off. I could make 3% interest return on in my sleep. I could, you know, go shake a tree in my network and go, hey, who's got a deal? I'll pay me 8% and I'll lend you the $100,000 to do your deal and pay me back in six months. You know, like it's, it is very easy to outpace a three, four, five, shoot, six, 7% interest rate, right? So the idea of paying those off is kind of like, eh. Why would I, why would I do that? Like it, it almost feels like a loss, but it's a guaranteed return. And what it does is if you pay that off, you know, it, it's, it's especially with like a car where it's a fixed payment, there's this weird like threshold where it becomes more valuable to pay off. So if you have a, I bought my car for 12 grand when I first bought it, putting $12,000 into it to save, you know, and paying it off in cash to save $180 a month made no sense. That's a, that's a bad return, whatever. Uh, now I owe like 4,000 on it. So putting $4,000 in to make $200 or $180 a month in perpetuity, that's a lot more reasonable. Like I, it's a, it's a little harder to go find something that I can throw $4,000 at and make 180 guaranteed. Um, so it's, there's a weird threshold there, but yeah, the interest rate on, you know, some of that stuff, it's like, ah, uh, you know, like I don't even mind having a credit card with you know, maxed out if the money went into a renovation, that's going to turn a profit. But, um, yeah, it, it's the, 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 the short answer is it's, it's a good thing. She balances me out because I need to be a little bit more conservative just because I don't think there's a crash, but you know, who knows? Um, so better to be prepared for anything than to be wrong. So do you have plans for if there is a crash? Like, do you also have proactive plans like is that a buying opportunity or you're like we'll have to reassess when always a buying opportunity yeah i'm actually thinking that the way this manifests in the real estate world is probably going to be market specific i think that there are very very overpriced markets that will probably see a pretty a somewhat serious uh, you know correction and i think there's markets like mine where we might see a five ten percent dip and so what I've been kind of playing around with is like, okay, how do I figure out where this is manifesting in such a way that I can put funds into those markets that get hit hardest? Um, Will that be the market? Like, will that be the stock market at all? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely a thought. Uh, I've been meaning to set up a, a solo 401k for a little while that I can invest you know, you can invest, I think like $56,000 a year into that if it's through your business. So I've been meaning to set something up like that. I love index funds. They are, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't have enough of them because it's just, I've been in a weird for the last five or six years, it's been very easy to make a really, really good returns in real estate. And so I haven't put nearly as much in index funds because as much as they're passive, I know I can outpace it. You know, I can, I've got one right now. I, I locked a property up under contract for $90,500. I called a friend and said, Hey, do you want this property for a hundred thousand dollars? I'm going to get paid $9,500 in eight days at the closing table. And I never owned the property. I'm not going to be able to do that in the index fund world, right? Like that's a, a 10% return immediately with no work. Um, I'll pay taxes on it, but so it's been hard to, I, I keep wanting to put money into the index funds. And then I'm like, 
ah, this property looks good. So yeah, I think, I think that'll happen. I think once I have that 50,000 in cash reserves, I will actually, there's a really good chance that I'll take the entire cash reserve, stick it in an index fund because it drops so much lately and say, that's my emergency fund. We'll pull it if we need to, but when it goes back up, I'll be good. Yeah. Well, you should sleep well at night because as index fund owners, we aren't. <laughs> it, it'll come back around though. That's right. Now we're used to it, but it isn't, it is, it's just a long game. And that's why, yeah. I, that's why I was asking if you looked or didn't look because yeah. look, looking is just utter torture. It's right bad now right now. It's ugly. I, I lucked out. So the, the TSP changed their login system and it glitched to where they couldn't reset my login stuff. And so they had to, they had to mail me a password and I only just got it in the mail yesterday and I haven't haven't uh, logged back in. So for the last five weeks, I haven't actually been able to access my account balance, even if I wanted to. Just Good. light it on fire and get another one in six months. <laughs> I, frankly, I think we should all walk away and look again next March, honestly. Yeah. Not even. Well, uh, have you guys read Simple Path to Wealth by JL Collins? Um, okay, so I haven't, but I've read a lot from him and I am going to order his book. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, I just had him on the podcast a little bit ago. I love JL Collins. He's super smart. And uh, I'm glad that we had him on the podcast a little bit ago because it was nice to get that refresher before the market started going crazy because people are, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy how much, you know, I, I see it now as, as a, as a expert in the space. Um, all of a sudden people are in my group. What do I do? Where should I move my money in the TSP? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it's like, don't do anything. Stop. Like if you move it, you're admitting defeat. You lost, you took the loss, you took the hit, you're done. Like that's it. Now you're going to miss out when it goes back up. Yep. yep. Stop being human. Don't, so, don't act like a human right now. Yeah. Which is hard to do if you're not trained mentally to not sell, which knock on wood, I don't think I ever will. Cause having lived through the pandemic and I didn't sell then I'm like, I have a level of confidence that I'll make it because I have. Well, just look back on the beginning of the pandemic and do the math for how much of a hit you would have to take to get back to zero. And you'll you'll sleep a lot better then because you're nowhere near. That's it. a yeah. really good way to frame it. It is a really good. Okay, so I'm glad you brought the podcast up because you also interviewed, well, it's amazing and anybody out there should go listen to it. And um, you also got the chance to interview the first person that sounds like introduced you to all this, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Right. Okay. So tell you guys us about to that one. That one was the. I haven't yet. Show I can't ever. wait. So tell us about just your experience. I mean, I'm as much interested in everything you want to share about military life and the transition you made and growing this community and um, getting into real estate, your personal success, helping other people have personal success. But I'm also really interested in hearing like what it's been like for you to go, wow, I just interviewed the person who got me into this to begin with. But yeah, what, what has this been like? And what was that experience like? Yeah, it's surreal. It's super cool. So I got lucky because the whole reason I started all this, uh, the gentleman who told who gave me the idea for blogging was Brandon Turner, who was one of the first authors I ever read about real estate. He's uh, was like a figurehead for bigger pockets for a long time. Um, and so that was really cool. And so I've gotten to meet a lot of people who I looked up to or, or read books. I, I just interviewed, uh, Jason Dries, who's a mindset coach that has just come out with a book. I've interviewed a lot of really cool people who it's weird. Like I read their book and then I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. And then like six years later or six months later, I'm like, Oh wow, I get to talk to this guy. Um, 
Robert was, that is such a wild episode. So I got introduced to him. I'm not going to name the podcast, but a friend of mine who produced a fairly large or really large real estate podcast told me like, I, I was just bugging him. I was like, oh, you had this guy as a guest. Don't you know I'm a Marine? He's a Marine. Like, where's the introduction, man? Come on. You know, we're drunk and I was giving him a hard time um, at an event. And uh, the next day he sent the intro and it was a really nice intro, like a, a two paragraph, super well done intro. And it worked right. And, uh, but he warned me, he was like, Hey, just so you know, we've done over 300 episodes. That was the most heavily we've ever edited an episode. And we still put a trigger warning on the beginning of it. So just know you're in for a wild ride. And so I told my co-host, I was like, Hey, we've never edited a show before. So uh, we marked explicit on iTunes. Let's see what the heck happens. And uh, we didn't make a single cut. And so it's crazy. I mean, Robert's on the podcast going off about like trannies and liberals and conservatives and currency. And I mean, at one point he talks about uh, getting court-martialed in the military for drunkenly borrowing a helicopter to pick up chicks while stationed in Hawaii. Um, it's great. I mean, it's like, but the but the whole thing is like, and this is the thing with Robert, he's says very polarizing language and people hate it the same way that, you know, president Trump uses extremely polarizing language and you either love, 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 or you hate, hate, hate. And for whatever reason, polarization like that is very good for growth. Uh, you know, you think Ben Shapiro, Grant Cardone, uh, like all these guys. Oh, we interviewed Grant Cardone too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Did, same yeah. day, same day within an hour of each other. It wow. Um, and it was That's even crazier because, they, their, their PR people were like, this is the date and time you get, take it or leave it. And I was looking at it and I was like, oh my goodness, how did this work out? One o'clock, we interview Grant, One forty, we interview Robert. Um, but so, so Robert says all of these really polarizing things, but his overarching message is so simple and so not polarizing. Like his overarching message was essentially, I can say and do whatever the hell I want because I own a jet and I can leave the country. And who cares? Like they can't, I have financial freedom. Now. Yeah. Yeah, you get, that's a rock solid argument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His whole argument is like, the reason I wanted financial freedom is so that I could stick my middle finger up and do whatever I wanted. And now I can't. Yeah. So, I mean, but it was, it was fun. Like I left the Robert interview. I mean, Grant was really nice too. I mean, he was a, that show was a total pitch. Like we knew that the whole reason for that show was to pitch a fund. Uh, but he gave us, 10 minutes more time than he, than his scheduler told us we had. And he hung out with us afterwards and gave my audience a discount for a free access to his, his uh, sales course. And so he was super cool. And Robert, I left the podcast. and was like, Alex, we need to drink with that man someday. Like he is awesome. <laughs> so hilarious interview. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to listen to that one. I did listen to the Grant Cardone interview and I agree. It was obviously a pitch, but he did give you a little more than that. And he did say like, it's worth listening to. And I thought it was interesting. Di didn't he proclaim he's going to run for president? <laughs> I, I so think he, he got that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's a, uh, I wouldn't put it past the guy. He's a, he's a PR machine, right? Absolutely. He had, yeah. he had a uh, Donald Trump speak at his last event. So, oh, you know, wow. maybe he's inching that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got that one. Um, do you have any questions? Cause I want to talk about creativity. Good. Okay. So I've also, I know you've mentioned the power and importance of creativity. And for us, like I mentioned before, we talk to a lot of creatives. We're around a lot of creatives who are, who are literally making things, whether it's music or, or whatever it might be. 
I think the creativity you're talking about is both inspired maybe by the same things, but an execution very different. And I don't, I think a lot of the people that, you know, we're around, maybe even ourselves included, um, that's just not the type of creativity I think that we need to be tapping into in a business sense. And maybe it is, by the way, I think these things can go hand in hand, but why don't you talk for a second about what you mean as creativity and what that really looks like in execution? Yeah. You know, it can really, it can actually, it can really be summed up in a, a concept that Robert talks about in his book. Uh, most people look at a problem and say, I can't afford that. And if you say that, you stopped yourself from finding a solution. So if you just change your wording to say, well, how can I make that happen? Or how can I afford that thing? Uh, that's all it is. It's the creativity. It's problem solving. It's, it's, you know, it, it's interesting to me and it, it actually drives me absolutely bonkers as a creator. Um, people will reach out and say, I want to pick your brain. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. What about? And they're like, oh, you know, getting into real estate. I'm like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Um, have you read my book? Have you listened to my podcast? Have you read any books? Have you? Okay. So just to, just to clarify, I spent nine months writing a book that tells you everything I wish I'd known when I joined the military and answers all of this stuff about real estate. A third of the book is about real estate. You haven't read it after I put the nine months into it. And now you want 30 minutes on the phone to ask me questions that are answered in the book in more detail. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, if you read the book and then you got questions, great, let's jump on a call. Like, cool. Got it. You know, at least you know how I think you've, you've seen some stuff, you know, it's not all about the book, right? I mean, I give it away for free. If you give me your email on the website, if you want the PDF, but it's, it's just, it's a time thing. So it's, it's the same thing. People will, they don't turn to Google, you know, it's like, Oh, I have this problem. Well, 90% of those problems a Google search can fix in 60 seconds. And so if you're not willing to think creatively around a solution or around a problem, then, you know, you're, you're probably not meant to be spearheading some crazy entrepreneurial journey journey. And that's fine. There's no shame in that. Like there's nothing, not everybody has, you know, despite what hustle culture wants you to believe right now, like not everybody needs to start their own thing. It is what it is. Right. But you've got to be able to problem solve that. So, I mean, creativity in the content sense and and the and artist sense and all of that is, is great. It's just you, you also need to be able to think like, hey, how could I monetize this, or how could I afford that in a way that makes sense? You know, you, you hear these guys who are, uh, you know, multi multi millionaires talking about their Rolls Royce or their Lamborghini or whatever. And almost every single one of them, the one, the ones who are legit, the ones who are selling you courses, you know, whatever, but the ones who are legit will tell you like, don't buy the Lamborghini, buy the apartment complex and then use that money to buy the Lamborghini. Right. And so. I feel like it's the solution oriented that is really, really important that a lot of people mm -hmm. that we talk to are, are just starting out and getting into a small business or some sort of entrepreneurial life miss a lot. You mentioned this earlier. I have one one question that I will get to, but so I we are in the royalty game also. So we make a lot of TV music. We we partner with Warner Brothers Discovery and a lot of other folks and we do ad work and and film and television and things like that. And the big thing I tell young producers and young composers is it's not about the creativity or the music, it's about execution. Like none of that stuff matters. Your song does not matter unless it's placed. And if it's not placed, you need to figure out why and you need to figure out how to solve that problem. 
it, it was too long. It was too slow. It wasn't loud enough. The drums suck. The vocals were not relevant to what you were sending it for. Solve those things because the rest of it is just a skill. The rest of it is a tool set that anybody can learn if they Google it. Anyone can be a producer if they want to be a producer. I'm, I love how you frame that. Like It's not about, oh, you have $1.9 million. That's not the secret. The secret is consistent mentality and living your life in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. It's consistency. It's, I didn't, I didn't do and haven't done anything spectacular. Um, most people I know who are very well off didn't do and haven't done anything spectacular. They just kept going, right? It's well, you guys are musicians. What's your, uh, what's your, uh, Matt, what's your instrument of choice? Your first, uh, drums is my instrument of choice, but I do everything now. I was, I played a little bit of drums in high school and, and some piano, but not any good, but, but you know, that's kind of the, where I was going with that, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever coached or taught drumming, but if you, if you're teaching, like I would imagine that most of your students don't make it. They don't play the drums long-term. They drop out piano, guitar, whatever. Stop with, you know, podcasting, right? They say 23 episodes. Like most podcasts don't make it past 23 episodes. Um, if you pick up an instrument, you give it six months and you put it down. You didn't master that instrument. Sorry is what it is. You look at Travis Barker, who's a, pretty solid drummer and he probably didn't do anything spectacular other than play the drums a lot really consistently and he's one of the best drummers out there i think so like it's just anything you do in life it's just consistency time you know intentional practice what do i need to work on work on that thing i love that man. yeah um I do want to ask one more question just about marriage and finding that partner and, you know, navigating money goals and work goals. How has that been for you? And do you have any advice for, for young couples starting out? Well, the first thing is if you're not married yet, get a prenup when you do, even if you have nothing. Um, do I, you really recommend that? Yeah. So I, so I'm also a co-host for the Bigger Pockets Money podcast at this point. And they interviewed a guy. We interviewed a guy. They had him on the show. Aaron Thomas, I think is his name, but uh, recently about prenups. And holy crap, everything I thought I knew about prenups was a lie. Like, you know, you think that a prenup is, ah, oh, man, if I get divorced, this person's going to be able to take me for all my money and I already have money. Therefore, this is really bad. I, I got to do a prenup. Um yeah, that's part of it. But I mean, you can put in there, hey, if we're struggling, we're going to be required to go to six months counseling before we file for divorce. We are going to set our funds up so that we each have our own personal account and we have a joint account. So all our money goes or all our bills get paid out of the joint account. And then we each get to keep X amount per month. So if you're really good with money, you can save it all. And if I'm really bad with money, I can spend it all and we don't affect each other. You can have parenting plans already outlined. I mean, you can so many things. And and the reason I think that's a great idea and I didn't do it and I would probably be open to a post nup. I don't know that that's something my wife would be. Open to. Yeah, you can do, you can do post nups. It's just, you know, uh, if you're, it's kind of a weird, that's, that seems like a weird one to bring up. Like, Hey babe, I know, uh, rough right around right this week. So, uh, can we sign a, a post nup that says you don't get all my money? You know? Um, yeah, like that's kind of seems like a losing battle, but, but on the prenup side, like when you form an LLC with business partners, you outlay every single contingency plan possible because you know that 
right now everything's great. Sometime, heaven forbid, that changes, and now we're at each other's throats, and we're not going to be rational. So we need to have it outlined now. And that's what happens with divorce, right? By the time you get to divorce, you guys hate each other's guts. You're going to try to do everything you can to rip each other down. It, that's terrible. So set the boundaries ahead of time. Like, hey, I hate you, but we did agree that we were going to do this stupid <laughs> this thing. This is what so, you said. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, and hopefully it never happens. But yeah, so I recommend a prenup to anyone, even if you got absolutely no assets, because it's a plan for the future yeah. and you can – it's super cool. Uh I would, you know, we were kind of a weird, so I bought my house the same month that I married my wife, my first duplex and she already owned a house. But, um, so when we got married, this side of Dave didn't exist, right? I was not entrepreneurial. I did not have a business. I was not a big real estate investor. So I've changed a lot over the last six, seven years. I, I would say I've grown a lot. Um, mm -hmm. that's caused some growing pains. I mean, she's farmer's daughter, grew up on a farm, rural Missouri, super mellow homestead, you know, whatever, um, which is all great, but you know, we, we view money differently. And so, um, you know, I'm having to learn how to pull myself back a little bit in yeah. order to try to make her feel more secure. Uh, even if it's not the, the best financial decision. So like prime example, um, the house I'm standing in right now, it's a I Airbnb, the upstairs, it's a four bed, two and a half bath that sleeps 12. And then the downstairs is a two, one basement, walkout kitchen, you know, whatever. And I use it as my office. And, uh, it's a great house, great area, great location, whatever. But when I bought it, I just got out of the military. So I was, you know, unbankable. I didn't have a job anymore and all my real estate taxes. I do a good job writing stuff off. So I didn't qualify for a mortgage at the time, which is hilarious. Cause I make two or three times as much money as she does, but I can't show it. So, mm -hmm. uh, yep. so yeah. she, and, and I mean, I say make like that's gross. Right. But, um, you know, so we had to, I had to gift her the 17, $18,000 as the down payment for her to do a 5% conventional loan on the property. And it's in her name only so that my debt wasn't pulling us down. Mm -hmm. And so she's wanted that off her name for a while, the DTI. And so we just did that refi today. And like, Apples to apples, refinancing this house was a terrible idea. I mean, I'm my mortgage payment just jumped $450 for the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. My interest rate went from three and a quarter fixed for 30 years to 4.5 to seven floating for the next 25 years. Yeah. Um, that $2,200 or $2,150 a month that I'm now paying towards the mortgage doesn't include insurance and taxes. And the 19 I was paying mm -hmm. did include that. So, like, wow. overall, pretty expensive endeavor, but it gets her name off of it and it gets some of her debt paid down with the money yeah. we pulled out so that she feels more secure. So yeah. I think it's, I think it's that balance, right? Like she's let me do a lot of things and take some risks and use the HELOC and they've paid off. Uh, yeah. So now it's time to step it back a little bit, I think, and be a little more conservative, which, which is good with the market cycle. It kind of makes sense anyway. So yeah, yeah. Right, we're over an hour now, David, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. So much for your time, man. Your, your enthusiasm is infectious. We absolutely will link to every, every single place people can find you and find your stuff. Is there anything you specifically want people to, to know about you or, or something that you want them to go do? Uh, oh, the shameless plug that I should always do and never do. If you're in the military or a veteran, read the book. And you can get it for free online. So, or you can audible it. I actually recorded the whole, you know, it's interesting as a audio music world guy. Um, so it cost me all in 
uh, I think like $7,200 to write, self-publish, edit, everything else for the book, right? 4,500 of that is the stupid audio engineer. Like that was so like not even close. It was the most expensive piece of the entire puzzle by like, you said, hold on 7,200 total. How much was the audio engineer? Yeah. Like $4,500. It was, I think it was like a hundred dollars an hour or something. And he had to go through it twice. And like, did you narrate it? And then they cut it together for you. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I am pretty comfortable on a mic. So I did, I feel like there probably was not nearly as much editing as most people who were to pick up a mic. And how many, uh, I'm going to see if I can't deconstruct this for you off air a little bit. How many hours of audio do you estimate the whole book is? Uh, I think it's finished product is around six to eight. I think we can get you a better deal next time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got another book or two that I'm I'm about to start working. So I'll have to reach out to you guys. Um, So the book is called how to build wealth, get promoted and achieve greatness. The no BS guide to military life. So folks can get it. And I think when I Googled it, it was like literally anywhere. So is there a a place you want them to go? Yeah. Point them to the audible. He spent all of his money yeah. on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Amazon and Audible is pretty much the easiest place to grab it. Yeah. Um, if you want the free PDF, you just go to my website and it'll pop up and give that's you that not option. what you're supposed to say. Well, I don't care about the money. I care about them getting the information. Good. Thank you. That's great. Okay. Thank you for everything. Absolutely. You guys have a great day. Thanks for having me on the show.